Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. and help lead us to a victory. See you guys on Monday. Baker Man. Any better than that? Obviously, we'd like to be a little bit more stress-free, but um, it's, it's a pretty damn good story, I'll be honest with you. So it's, uh, it's special. You know, I, I used to not necessarily complain about the fact that I had that many different offensive systems and having to learn that, but it came in handy when having to learn a crash course and being able to relate, relate certain things. And, uh, you know, Sean's protection scheme is similar to Bill Callahan's who I had in Cleveland. So the terminology with that, that knocks out a big chunk of the learning curve um, and just trying to learn all the, the motions and the terminology for that. It's, it's tough, um, but those guys did a great job of helping me out communicating when I got off the field on the sideline and just talking about what the plays that are coming up. Uh, there were still definitely some, uh, looked like some rookie errors with, with formations and motions. Obviously, it hurt us late, but, you know, it, it worked out. But not having the timeouts to be able to call on defense, you know, it came down to that third and one stop. Defense did a hell of a job making that stop and giving us the ball back. Um, so there, there's things that definitely need to be worked out, but those guys helped me out in this crash course. To be honest with you, I'm just looking to be the best version of me possible, learn and improve in the system, trying to take away from a great group of guys that have had a lot of success. Obviously, you know, the injuries, are, it's tough, but um, just trying to learn from everybody here, take in as much as I can and let the pieces fall where they may. I can't control the future. I know I have, you know, the next four games here, uh, trying to build on that and just be the best version of me and improve. I got to tell you, uh, I got to tell you, Tom Brady said it first, then Jacoby Brissett said it. Now I'm going to say a version of it. That was effing awesome. <laughs> that really was last night watching Baker Mayfield do his thing. Baker Mayfield, the only team that claimed him off of waivers was the LA Rams. The only team that claimed him. He didn't have that much time to get ready for this game. Thursday night game Mayfield. Go, gets to LA on Tuesday and on a Thursday night against the beleaguered now beleaguered. We can say that that should be the word in front of the Las Vegas Raiders against the beleaguered beleaguered Las Vegas Raiders leads a 98 yard drive a 98 yard drive to win the game with 10 seconds left. This is just unbelievable. Bert Breer. Uh, my brother is here and Bert. The only thing more awesome. I'll say the only thing more awesome than that last night was yeah. this this time this time window that we're in this time window where we talk so much trash Bert everybody knows <laughs> uh, we're both Ohio State fans we're Buckeyes fans so we talk so much trash before Ohio State Michigan 
It happened to be after Thanksgiving. So the Saturday after Thanksgiving, you know, I came back on Monday. You weren't around. And then we had some shows. We had some things. So this is our first time to talk since Buckeyes, yeah, the game. Uh, Wolverines. And, and here's the thing. Now the Buckeyes are in the playoffs. <laughs> I know. The boogeyman's alive. The boogeyman's alive. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm trying to keep a so low profile. Still, so I'm trying to keep a low profile. Yeah, I know. Me too. But, me too. But, I'm, but, but I mean, like, you know, maybe some people did some things on someone's field that now they may have to answer yeah. for a lot sooner than yeah. they thought they were going to have to answer for them, right? Yeah. And, and look, and, and Bert, I know we're going to talk some NFL, but I was talking to Vinny Goodwill, uh, who really was talking uh, in my ear, and I had nothing else to say to him because he said Michigan was going to win, and he was right. Yeah. But he, when he found out, when, when USC lost, he said, okay, it's still not the same. There's only one game. There's only one game. Okay, he's right. In a sense, there's only one game. So you lose in Columbus to Michigan. Uh, you can't really take that away. However, However, if you happen if you happen to play Michigan for the national championship and you happen to win, yeah, you lost the game. But are we really gonna dismiss can you, losing can you imagine a national like, championship? Think about this. CJ Stroud's legacy does a 180 if he beats Georgia and Michigan to win the national championship. He goes That's from a tall order too. That's a tall yeah, yeah. order, baby. Georgia, like Georgia's tough. Like, and and I, yeah. I'm not predicting anything. Let's just make that clear right now. I'm I'm out of well, the prediction business if, for the rest of the college football and season. If you make, but, and, and Bert, if you make me predict something on Ohio State Georgia, it's not going to go in our favor. Right. I, I mean, I, I don't but, lo- I don't love but, the matchup, quite honestly. But but you think about the opportunity in front of these kids now. You know what I mean? Like these kids had to hear for a week, like, like, all right, like you're always going to be remembered for this. Like there were, a, I think CJ had a line like like this isn't going to define me. Well, you know it sort of is. Like going on to as the as the Ohio State quarterback against Michigan, like it's though that game's defined a lot of people. You know that that game defined J- Jim Harbaugh before he turned it around the last couple of years. That game defined John Cooper. That def- that game defined Brady Hoke and Rich Rodriguez and. You know, there are quarterbacks that have gone through there and not won, and, and it defined them. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I that's sort of the way I look at it. Like, now, I, I don't know that those guys have much to lose. You know what I mean? Like, so it's going to be interesting to see how different that makes the dynamic for them, you know, because a guy like C.J. Stroud, like, has an ability now to turn his legacy on its head and go from, you know, the guy who couldn't beat Michigan to – one of the great quarterbacks in Ohio State history in two games, you know, and like that's, that's right. pretty amazing. That's that's right, and that's why that's why Cardell Jones still gets a lot of love at Ohio yep. State, and there are many quarterbacks who are much better than than he was, but happen to be a quarterback of a national championship team. So, yep. uh, uh, speaking of a quarterback who uh, has a, a, a legacy that is tough to define, that is ever shifting, let's look at Baker Mayfield. A guy who also planted a flag at Ohio State um, Stadium right, once yeah. upon a time. But Baker Mayfield, in the last calendar year, has been a Brown, has been a Panther, and now a Ram. And his first game with the Rams, as I said off the top, just incredible. And, and, and Bert, I, w- I wonder what you think about this. You know, Baker has won a playoff game in his career. 
So he's no stranger to success. He really had a good year uh, in 2020 for the Browns. I wonder if if you look at this, you look at Baker Mayfield and other quarterbacks who have taken a while to find their spot. You know, Geno Smith is a great example. Should we just kind of recalibrate how we evaluate quarterbacks? I know coaches don't have I know coaches don't have five years to look at them, but should we look at them in five year windows? Is that too much? You know, it's interesting you say that because I, you know, I think just because of the way the contracts work for first rounders now, like teams feel like they've got to have an answer on a guy after three years, right? Like, and so, I mean, we've seen it. You go all the way back to when these rules went into place in 2011, that first quarterback class with, you know, Cam Newton and Christian Ponder and Jake Locker and Blaine Gabbert and Andy Dalton in it and, um, and Colin Kaepernick in it. Um, And like, you know, like there's been this feeling that like you have to have your answer after three years. The guy that Baker Mayfield was actually compared to a bunch coming out was Drew Brees. And it took Drew Brees longer than that. You know what I mean? Like, so, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. You know, I, I, I've i talked to Gino about this a couple of times now. And, you know, I think Gino, Gino's feeling was I've been this quarterback for a while. I just didn't have the opportunity to show it. And because people look at guys who sort of wash out in their first shot as starters as failures or, okay, he's a career backup, you don't see very many guys swinging back around at 27, 28, 29 years old and reestablishing themselves. Yet, if you look back in history, right, and Pete Carroll actually brought some of the names up to me when I talked to him about Gino, there are a lot of decent examples of it. Jim Plunkett, Rich Gannon, Steve Young, like there are good examples of it if you go back in the history of the NFL and so maybe it says more about us you know than, than anything else yeah. that you know we just have to have a final determination on a guy after three or four years but you know, we got a couple of good examples I think of how a guy getting to the right situation and obviously with Baker it's a much smaller sample size than Gino but you know how a guy getting to the right situation can really help and I think that was the case with Breeze too like if you want to look at Drew Breeze like he was sort of in a, a weird spot in San Diego where I, I think they went through three coaches in his time there, and then they spent a first-round pick on another quarterback, you know, and then he winds up with the perfect coach for him and Sean Payton, and his career takes off. You know, I I wouldn't rule out, like, the idea that Geno Smith could be that, you know, for Seattle, that yeah. or that Baker Mayfield could eventually become that guy for the Rams, especially if Matthew Stafford's career, you know, is cut short, which I think a lot of people have the radar up for right now. Yeah, I, I got to say, though, I love the response for this game. I love the response from uh, Sean yeah. McVay on that winning touchdown pass. Great throw, by the way. Great throw from oh, Baker yeah. to Jefferson uh, there well, to, to complete I got an the amazing comeback. And a great you. response. And a great so, response in the locker room. For, for, so uh, I talked Matthew. to a couple. I mean, there are so many levels of this. Um, you know, I talked to Baker a minute ago. We'll have a story up on the site soon on this. But he, um, you know, like how the waivers work in the NFL, right? So, like the waivers come in for people who don't know at four o'clock every day. So four o'clock Eastern. So Baker and his agent had sort of figured out like, like, okay, like he, like they thought Houston might take them. The agent did some homework. So they're not taking you then second and third in the waiver order were the bears and the Broncos. And they knew because of Justin Fields, Russell Wilson, they're not taking me. So they figured out like the Rams were likely to take him. Right. Baker booked a flight. Like, and I know he mentioned this last night. What he didn't mention was what time that flight was at. It was at 4:48. So, like, literally, as that flight is boarding, 
he's like figuring out whether or not the Rams claimed him, <laughs> which is like an amazing detail. And here's another one for you. You know how like the wow. wristbands work, right? Like quarterback wristbands, like your cheat sheet, right? right? There was only one play that Sean McVay called off the wristband last night. Every other play, like Baker had to have in his head, which is amazing. I, I, well, I thought me. that was an incredible detail. Wow, that is an incredible detail. Only one play off the wristband, everything else. Yeah, got it was the it was a third down. It was a third down. They converted it. It was a um it was a third down to two two Atwell in the third quarter. They threw the screen, they converted it, and it got called back. That was the only play they called huh. off the wristband all night. Which I mean that, I mean the other detail yeah. I got, his headset went out, like his earpiece went out like in the second quarter. I it's just I, you got to give Baker Mayfield all the credit in the world because to come in here and do this, like, and, and you and I both know like how, how hard it is to pick up an NFL offense and how much detail there is to it. And yeah, there, there was some carryover, you know, like, I mean, playing for Kevin Stefanski, Kevin Stefanski is a Gary Kubiak guy, Bill Callahan, the offensive line coach there. And like, I guess you saw on the sound there off the top, you know, he worked with Sean McVay in Washington. So there were some carryover and some things that helped, you know, Baker with the translation, but to be able to do this is incredible. Like three different coaches went to Baker and said, are you sure you're okay with this? It's okay if if you don't want to dress and you don't feel comfortable. And every one of them, he said, I'm ready to go. I got to go. Now, on the flip side, Bert, once again, <laughs> the Raiders, I mean, it's like you, you really can't make it up. I mean, how many games have we seen like this during the season? Where the Raiders appear to have control of the game. Hey, they do, make a couple of smart plays and you got this thing. You could win it. They lose again after blowing yet another lead in, in in inexplicable ways. Yeah. I know there won't be I know there won't be a price to pay. I shouldn't say that. There's unlikely to be a price to uh, right. pay for Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler. Got it. Yeah. But what do they do with this? Like well, what do you do if you're the Raiders? How do you process this and move forward when this is who you are now? You know, what's so interesting about it is like a lot of the stuff that we saw them screw up last night, like where Josh comes from, they're the master of it, right? Like, so <clears throat> like discipline down the stretch, you know, the pass interference call, uh, I mean, it was the right call. It was close, but it was the right call. Yeah. But yeah. like that corner has to know he's got help. Like Daron Harmon's waiting there for the ball. You know what I mean? Like, so that corner has to know, like, I got help here. Like I, like the last thing I can do is tug on the guy's jersey, right? Or tug on his arm. And then on like Jerry arm. Tillery. He's pulling his which, arm. Right. And then, <laughs> and then Jerry Tillery, which just, I mean, the all time bonehead play of like knocking the ball out of Baker Mayfield's hand. Like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, what are you doing? I mean, you just, and, and and if you look like those two penalties really ignited the drive, you know, and then later on, I mean, that's, that's the thing to me. Like it, it I, I, I don't know if you saw the Amazon uh, post game, Michael, but you know, Baker said he was stunned that they were, that they were, that they were impressed man coverage. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, like I've watched a lot of new England over the years, Michael, and you know, in that sort of situation, what's Bill Plant telling him? He's like, keep him in bounds, keep him out of the end zone. Right. Tackle him to the right. ground and the game is over. There's 15 seconds left. Like if they tackle a guy, if they they defend the sideline and the goal line, and even if the guy catches the ball, you take him to the ground. The game is over. You know what I mean? Like so. There's just that's the thing that's so wild about the whole scenario is that there's so many situational things, and it makes me wonder: Does Josh need to look in the mirror a little bit and be more of the CEO head coach, right? Because these huh. are game management yeah. things. Right. Like, and if things are slipping in game management, situational management, 
does that mean Josh needs to take a little bit more of a step back from being the offensive guru? And a lot of guys have trouble with this. You know what I mean? Like a lot of coaches, because they think like, this is what I've been hired for, which is the right way to think about it, right? Like I've been hired because I'm really good at this. So I'm going to keep doing this. I, I just, you know, you wonder, you look at it and it's like, could Josh have done a better job if he was more dialed into the game globally than just looking at the offense? And, um, you know, I give coaches who who hand that stuff off a lot of credit. Like, I think Nick Sirianni in Philadelphia is a great example of it. Last year, halfway through the year, without telling anybody, he handed off play calling to Shane Steichen. And that was really when the Eagles took off, you know? And so I think the game management stuff was the stuff down the stretch. And, and, and basically the way the team conducted itself down the stretch that really kind of caught my eye. Last thing I have for you, I, I could talk about uh, football with you all day. You know that, but... Last thing uh, for the time that we have, uh, did Tennessee make the right choice? Uh, John Robinson, you've known him for a while. I've known him for a long time. Yeah. Did they make the right choice firing uh, John Robinson at a very strange time uh, when they're in first place and it's December and it's a critical time in the scouting realm. Uh, did they do the right thing? <laughs> I mean, I, the way I look at it, they have two really good people and work it out. You know what I mean? Like, I think Mike Vrabel and John Robinson are two very good people and work it out. And, you know, like, I, the timing of it does make you wonder a little bit, like, all right, is there another layer to this? Is there something under the surface? Maybe the investigation into the DUI uh, um, coming off of the team plane from Green Bay. Like, those things sort of go through your head. What I was told was this is the owner making a decision that's not dissimilar to the decision she made um, when they hired Mike Vrabel in the first place. They fired Mike Malarkey after back-to-back nine and seven seasons. Um, those are the only two years that Mike Malarkey was the head coach there, and they made the decision then that good's not good enough, and we want to get a coach to match up with John Robinson, who they thought at the time was doing a good job. So, like, that sort of matched up with this. There was some friction over some of the decisions now. Like, I don't know that... Vrabel was fully on board with going and getting Julio Jones. Obviously, the A.J. Brown thing is well documented. Um, So there's definitely some friction there. Um, You know, it just sort of makes you wonder, is there more there or had the relationship fractured further? I don't have evidence that it did, but I could see why if you're Amy Adams Strunk, maybe you're making that decision and, and taking Mike Vrabel over John Robinson if you had to pick one or the other. Uh, the other thing is, like, if you're going to do this, here's the thing. They're going to win the division. And say you win a couple playoff games and you get to the AFC Championship game, maybe it becomes harder to make this move then. I personally would argue that'd be a good problem to have and that you should try oh, right. to make this work for as long as you can. Um, but, you know, obviously they felt like they needed to level up in that spot. And and to be fair, too, like, J-Rob's had his ups and downs. Like, they missed on some first-round picks. Isaiah Wilson's the big one, but – you know, like, yeah, like a Dory Jackson and, 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 and Corey Davis. And like, so they, they, they've had their misses. I'd argue in his defense that like they've recovered from a lot of those misses and he did draft Jeffrey Simmons and Derek Henry and Kevin Byard, like, and he got them out of the Mariota thing, like, and, and got, and Ryan Tannehill's not great, but they, he got them soft landing out of that situation. I think he did a lot of good things. So, you know, I, I think this almost has to boil down to something that's not completely about putting the football team together. Uh, and you can say that, and, you know, NFL fans would be shocked to listen to their brethren and sistren all around the league who complain about, 
Oh, they this my coach my GM missed this draft pick. They all sound the same. You know why you all sound the same because they all do it like there's they no model organization. Whoever the whoever you think the model organization is you you an NFL fan in Tennessee or Philadelphia or, or, or New England or Los Angeles. You can say well, I want to be them. I'll go to go to that fan base and they will tell you they're dissatisfied too. Nobody's right. happy. Well, with you, know the the Michael, you know, the problem is you know, the problem is you know the problem is the problem is sort of like all of us where we look at like the draft classes after the after the right after the draft right like so like we all that Monday will like look at the draft class and there are eight players there it's like okay this guy's gonna play this role this guy's gonna play this role this guy's gonna do this this right. guy's gonna do that and we're acting like all happen. eight of them like 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 to all contribute. eight of them are going to like have like roles as rookies right when the reality right. is. If you have three guys who wind up starting for you, and not even in the first year, if they just wind up being starters for you, that's a great a good draft. draft. You know right. what I mean? Like, so yeah, like exactly. I think we're sort of part of the problem too. It's like the expectation is I would agree that, that you're going to find like a guy that's going to tr- contribute in the sixth round. I challenge anybody out there, like listening to this, watching this, go to last, go 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 four years back, go to 2018, Michael. Right, go to the sixth yeah. round and look at the names. And come back to me and tell me how many of those guys amounted to anything in the league. You know, it's hard. It is hard. But, hey, it's not hard to talk to you, man. Burt Breer, one of the best in the country. And uh, we'll talk after uh, we'll talk after the national semifinal. I'll just say it that way, Burt. We'll no talk. prognostications, Michael. That's right. No, I know. I'm not talking. I've been humbled, kind of. <laughs> for, the, for the time <laughs> being. <laughs> Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Uh, you can see it there, Brittany Griner. Day two, day two uh, of her life, her new life now. Uh, coming back home after a nearly 300-day odyssey in Russia. Uh, and so you see her there, just great. I, I, I don't know about you guys, whether you're watching or listening. I can't see this enough. Just to see the, uh, just the happiness, to see the joy, uh, also to, uh, to see Brittany's wife and, and uh, hear President Biden and Vice President Harris talk about what the reality is now. The reality is, finally, it's over. Uh, she's back home. So I, we got all these smart folks on the screen. I'm going to do a lot of listening. I'm going to do a lot of listening. Natalie is here. Uh, Chastity Melvin is here. And so is Ari Chambers. A lot of great basketball minds, a lot of great minds, period. So uh, I'll start with you, Ari. Uh, what, what were your thoughts and what are your thoughts now that you've had a day to process uh, everything, all the news that we got yesterday morning? Uh, what are your thoughts now? My initial thought was hysterical crying. Very happy for Brittany after 294 days, finally back home. Um, the hope was, you know, that she'd be back before now, but we can only focus on going forward. So just knowing that she's on that plane, I believe she landed at five Eastern um, today in San Antonio. And just knowing that 
she's being reunited with her Ta-da. rock, her family, her friends, um, everybody who you know cares about her, and she can come back knowing that so many people fought for her, nobody forgot her, and then she can be home for the holidays. It's really special. Chastity, how about you? I was overjoyed. Uh, I woke up that morning. I had so many text messages. I try not to get on social media the first thing in the morning, but I have been praying. As soon as I get on Twitter, I do see that Brittany has been released and she's on her way home. And for me, it felt like uh, I felt a burden that was kind of lifted off me that I didn't even know I was carrying. You know, it was very hard for me to be on social media because there's been so many hateful things being said. And now I thought it would be better, but it's probably gotten worse now that she's back home. But at the end of the day, I don't care. You know, she deserves to be home. And I'm, I'm very happy she's back with her family foremost. And, uh, you know, just for her friends and everyone that cares about her, Phoenix organiz- Phoenix Mercury organization. Uh, just, I'm just happy that she's back. I really am. Overjoyed. Is overjoyed? Is that where you are, Natalie? You're in the overjoyed space? <laughs> of course I'm overjoyed, but I too was just, overcome with emotion. I couldn't stop crying yesterday. So, um, and then I'm also very bothered by some of the comments as well. So, um, but I'm just so happy she's home, like in that God answered all of our prayers and I'm so happy for her family, her wife, the W, like it just, I'm so happy for her and thankful. Oh, and we'll Gratitude go, we'll, is what I feel. Yeah. And I, and I do, I want to, you know, we'll get to those comments in a second. Um, I know Chastity, you know, uh, BG very well, you know, wh- wh- what were your thoughts? Forget, forget about yesterday for a second. Go back. You know, what were your thoughts based on your knowledge of her? What were your thoughts when she was going through this day 50 day 100 day 200? Uh, what were some of the thoughts you had then? Well, I knew it was, it was definitely mentally challenging for her. Like I've told a, a lot of people that come up to me and ask me about BG. It's one thing to live in another country for seven months and play basketball. It's already taxing enough to be away from your family and friends Um, to be over there and not be playing basketball and also to be locked up and be in handcuffs. Like I can't even imagine like every every time I arrived back home from whatever country I had been in for the last seven or eight months, it took me a readjustment period being back stateside. And um, I had a lot of lonely times over there. And just like, so every day, just, I kept telling people like, you have no idea what she's going through. So for me, um, my thoughts were always with her every day. Like it it had to be extremely traumatic for her because it's just hard being over there by yourself uh, playing basketball, especially in Russia when it's freezing cold and dreary and depressing weather, like crazy. Can't imagine. Yeah, we had some conversations yesterday, Ari, about you know, the WNBA and, and what can we do now? What can we do to support uh, we had? There was so much support uh, for Brittany from WNBA players and players in other sports bring Brittany home. And then there was a, a, a like an outpouring of support from some of those same athletes when they heard the news. But uh, I, I know we were talking to Tarika Foster Brasby and others yesterday who said, okay, if you really want to support the WNBA, why don't you go to the games? Okay, why don't we go to the games? Why don't we start talking about the WNBA uh, in a different way. Uh, uh, those are just two suggestions. Uh, would you like to add on? Is there anything else we can uh, do? You know, now? I would. I'm over here. Got her back. Yeah. Yes, I'm looking at Nat's shirt and I'm like, protect them, love them, see them. And I think it's really important um, aspect of it all. Tarika said go to games because visibility matters. Because you can't protect and you can't speak up against or speak up for what you don't know. And so as long as you pay mind to the league, 
despite um, the negative things that might come out, why don't you pay mind to the positive things? Why don't you pay mind to the game? These players, find mm. a player that you like, um, draw yourself to them, follow their journey. Even if it's just from college through the pros, like just, just attach yourself to some aspect of the professional game and not mm. when it's to tragedy. And so you can love them and, and you can cause others to see them so that if they are in situations like that, you can protect them. What we can do is, I mean, you know, preaching the choir right here, but I can bring a friend to the game that's never been before. I brought my friend Faven last season. I'm a season ticket holder for the New York Liberty, a paid season ticket holder for the Liberty, even though I don't necessarily have to do that, but I'm pouring into the into the league. I'm, I'm making sure that I'm visible. I am there. They can be visible. I'm capturing content. I'm on social media. I'm pushing for, you know, the future of the league to be more visible. And that's what we have to do. We have to push because people who are the investors of this need to know that the demand is there. So as long as we make sure we're on the forefront um, of, of showing up for them like they show up for the world, that's how you can trickle down and make more investments happen so that the visibility can happen um, through like a network situation. Chastity, you see that headline up there about the WNBA incentivizing its players to stay home rather than going overseas. Is there enough? Is there enough of an incentive where you can say, okay, I'll do that if I want to, but I don't need to do it. I, I, I can, I can do my business right here. And if that's not happening, how can we make that happen? No, I love that. I mean, we didn't have those opportunities back in the day when I played, so we had to supplement our income. You know, uh, Michael, if you know the history of any professional sport back in the day, the NFL players, after their season ended, they got jobs, you know, to supplement their income. So it's not a new story that athletes starting out with a new, um, a, a new organization or just, you know, a new um, professional sports team. They have to do other things to supplement their income if they're not having guaranteed contracts and, and making tons of money. Um, so I'm, I'm excited that the president is doing that. And there are tons of opportunity for players to stay at home. And now what they can do with their social media platforms and how they can make money from home and, and supplement their incomes in that way um, is definitely a plus. But it's also, I mean, some players like to go to other countries and play basketball and make money. Now, I don't know that players can make a million dollars. What, you know, a million or more dollars what is what Brittany Griner was making in Russia. You know, so... With that being said, like our community, you know, there's only a small opportunity. You know, I'm a big dreamer, but if you have that type of contract and that opportunity, you want to take advantage of it because you never know when it'll come back around. So at the end of the day, I do think it's a personal choice, but I would like to see the season extended and obviously more opportunities, more money for the ladies not to to want to steer more towards staying at home in the States and building the league and being more... So as Ari says, the WNBA is so important. So more of the fans can continue to see them and continue to, because it's one thing to find a player and you want to follow them in the WNBA. And then as soon as the season's over, we're overseas and everybody's wondering what happened, what are they, where are they? You know, I can't really follow my favorite player. Although social media makes that more accessible now, it's still very difficult and challenging when there's another basketball, when all the other basketball seasons are going on, NBA, college, Rex, semi-pro, pro, high school, you know, it's very hard to stick with those players and follow them throughout the season. So that's what I would uh, hope that the future is leaning towards with the WNBA, that we have a longer season and players start steering more to building their brands and being able to supplement their incomes in a variety of ways at home. I want to tap in with the CBA, yeah, ahead, though, because... 
the CBA is now designed that you have to be home before tra or by training camp, and it's going to be harsher penalties where um, you might not be employed. And so this year it's going to be a little bit more lenient, but they're going to have to start being home sooner than later because of how the CBA is structured. But there are more opportunities to make money, like Chastity was saying, within um, the United States. The WNBA has 10 PMAs this year, which are the player marketing um you know, the players who are in charge of the marketing and there are 10 of them this year. Last year, there was only three. So we see um, more chances for them to make, you know, supplemental income while they're here. And then Athletes Unlimited is another way to, to make some money in, I think it's February this year in Dallas, where you, you stay in shape, you still um, play on a competitive level, but it's five weeks, one location, your friends can come, your family can come. And uh, it's a mix of uh, WNBA players and other professional players. And so it's it's a nice little merger of that. And it's a player run type of league. And so it's just, it, I, I was present at that and it was seemed that the, the players were having fun. They they were in great spirits and they love the player run type of aspect with that. They got uh, a full uh, incentivized way to play because it's a point system based with individual. Um, and then the top four each week get to coach. And so you get all those aspects of it. And then you have, um, several coaches like actual coaches like pokey chapman was there um to help guide the players that are serving as coaches but it's just a good structure for them to stay in, in the state so between the pma deals and in the cba the WNBA is trying to make it so that the players don't have to go overseas and the increased pay hopefully the next cba signing they'll have even more of a salary to see the, the growing interest within the league you know, Natalie, I, I want to go back to, to, to something you said uh, off the top. You know, you wear many hats for a brother from another, one of them, a uh, social media guru. And I guess <laughs> I can say the strength of social media is that everybody has a voice. Everybody's got that platform. Uh, the weakness of social media is that everybody's got a voice. <laughs> everybody's got a platform. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, giving, a, it's like giving a driver's license to everybody. Everybody shouldn't be behind the wheel. And, and at some point, you'd be like, damn. Stop driving. Stop driving. No, no, no. You should be driving right now. So you heard some uh, you heard some comments yesterday. What what were the comments that really that you wrestled with that, or that you felt the need to respond to? <laughs> I definitely responded to some, but I probably should have took Ari's advice. And she said to keep, you know, block people um, and, and to keep your peace. And it's one of the things I tried to do mostly, but um, you know, I anticipated the kind of comments that were going to come, which is unfortunate because I knew. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of, you know, calling Brittany a pothead. Um, you know, why, you know, like, why are we leaving her? There's this, I call it kind of like a fake outrage, a disingenuous outrage over, you know, oh, we need to bring the Marine home. And I'm not saying that we don't need to bring him home, but... Uh, you weren't this outraged or talking about it before you knew that it was a, a gay black woman who they were deciding to bring home. And I think there's underlying reasons for the backlash against bringing her home. She's an American. This is her home and we should be supportive of bringing her home. So just things like that, you break laws in a country, you, you know, this is what you have to do. And I feel like there's not a lot of, um, or I feel like there's not enough coverage, you know, sort of bringing some of the facts to the forefront. So for example, that she was prescribed to have that marijuana for, I mean, the 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 um, the cannabis oil for for pain management, right? And so, 
you know, whether or not your views on like, you know, weed or whatever it is, marijuana, like she did have a prescription for it, you know? And, you know, she explained that she was just packing in haste and it, it was in her bag. So, you know, we hear all the time, you have cases like Kyle Rittenhouse, things that come up in the U.S. and we ask for leniency, consider their age, consider these kinds of things. And this is less than an ounce, like under Russian law, under Russian law, she could have gotten a fine for it, you know? Um, but instead, they chose to give her prison time and sentence her to nine years to make her a political pawn. And that is so disheartening. And the fact that the a, a large portion of the country is not showing her love and is questioning why mm. we're fighting to bring her home, that's incredibly disheartening. And, you know, as a Black woman, you know, it often feels like we're at the bottom of the totem pole. And unless we show love for each other and support each other and fight for one another, no one else will fight for us. And then Brittany has it even harder because she is a queer Black woman. And so it's just, it's it's saddening, it's disheartening, and I won't stop, like, fighting for her. And sometimes I will be in these Twitter streets defending her. I mean, I had to hop in too, girl. Let me tell you, I'm sorry. I know this <laughs> no, it's good. I had to hop in too because they were like, outraged about Paul, which is rightfully so, but the the difference is we were going, we were collectively coming, like we were coming together, activating for Britney. We were signing out for Britney. All this outrage I had not seen on my timeline until, exactly, the tweet, until um, Britney was, was released. There were other prisoners released er, like earlier this year, but the difference is she's a queer black woman. So we really have to dive into the fact like, hey, this outrage did not happen beforehand. And if, if you are this outraged about it, advocate. Activism is, is very real. Um, mobilizing for somebody is very real. And if you feel so deeply about it, get behind it. Sherelle said on CNN yesterday that her and Brittany, um, after decompression, will continue to fight for those wrongfully detained because they have gotten close to these families. And, you know, Sherelle just finished law school. She has a beautiful career ahead of her. Uh, I, I have no doubt in my mind. But it's the simple fact that She's already made a promise to the public. And even if she didn't, she didn't have to do that, first of all. Black women are always saved the day. But she's made a promise to the public that she, her and Brittany are going to dedicate themselves to this cause. And so for them to be so outraged and, and, and not use that energy to mobilize for Paul, that tells a lot about them, too. Both can exist. Like Tariqa said, people can walk and chew gum, right? We can, we can be overjoyed for Brittany and still want better for society. Absolutely. And I wasn't, I'm not going to lie to you and say I was considering, because I, I, I frankly was happy that my friend is coming home. I'm happy that this, this, this wonderful is returning home. Um, and those who are so enraged that Paul is still imprisoned, mobilize for it. Yeah, that's exactly. right. Oh, I love it. I, I think you said it. I think you said it beautifully in, in your tweet, uh, Ari. And I wonder uh, if you had thoughtful response. I think I know. <laughs> thoughtful responses or responses or like, ah, oh, no, I'm just going to stick to my talking points. I really want to address the content of what you said. I think I know the answer. It's unfortunate. Yeah, but, so uh, final Twitter, word. Oh, go ahead. Twitter, Twitter is, um, is great because they hide a lot of replies from me. But I had people demanding that I stand up for Paul. And that's fine. Um, but they can, too. I, well, first of all, who are you to tell me who to activate for? And I will. But because social justice is in my blood. But not everybody's built like that. Some people just wanted their friend home. So they can get behind her as well. Right. Uh, it came out as well. That's right. Final, final word to you, Chastity. Uh, uh, just, just any thoughts on what we said here or, or something else that you want to say before we uh, uh, hit, head to this break? 
No, I just appreciate all the support from the uh, coaches, Don Staley and different coaches around the um, league and, and college and in the pros and uh, NBA, you know, WNBA across the board. Just continue to keep this on the forefront. Um, and I would like to say just for our culture personally, just athletes having a platform like the Don Staley's, like you, for them to have an extra burden to really continue to fight for uh, social causes and social injustices, I mean, it's a burden that other some other races with those type of platforms, they don't have to to do that. They can just focus on their job and their career. So it says a lot of, about the people who have these platforms, especially women of color, men of color, you know, uh, head coaches, uh, professional athletes that are stars, you know, to have to uh, not have to, but that choose to, you know, fight and, and, and say things and, and tweet to uh, defend things that are going on uh, that are socially, you know, wrong. And um, it's a burden that's been put on us. Um, at the end of the day, we don't all share that with other races. Um, and I just hope one day, like, athletes and the people that are really living and working can come together and kind of brand together like it was back in the day. You know, Muhammad Ali was with uh, Malcolm X. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King was with Jackie Robinson. So I do think that hopefully in the future, athletes are the only ones that media go to because there are a lot of people who are doing the hard work and living it every day. And I just hope to see that come together. So coaches and athletes with already a big platform who are trying to be the best at their job don't have to solely take on that burden. Absolutely beautiful. I'm glad we've all come together today. Natalie, thank you. Ari, Chastity. Uh, look, everybody, Natalie, Natalie's already here, but we always say this. Uh, doors open. You can come home anytime. It's home. It's home here. So uh, please drop by anytime you want to talk about anything you want to talk about. We're here. Appreciate you. <laughs> thank you, Michael. Thank you. Bye, y'all. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>
Yeah, so you know, this was a unique week for comments. We had a very active week here in terms of engagement. So our audience was really engaged. But um, we touched on it a little bit in the last segment um, because the news for the last you know day or so has been that Brittany Griner got released. And so we obviously had to talk about it. And um, a lot of the comments were not pleasant. They were not nice to read. And so I didn't want to give those people the satisfaction of putting up any of their comments. But we did also have some people who appreciated the coverage. Um, and in particular, something that I wanted to point out is everyone just kind of giving credit to Brother From Another for um, having Black women in sports um, who cover the sport and journalists on and helping to elevate our voices. And I can say personally for myself, as someone who is new to this space, both you and Mike have been so generous to me. And so I know we will continue to do that, but we were getting a lot of praise for that. And sometimes we need to give ourselves flowers and I want to give both you and Mike flowers. So thank you so much for that. And that was some positivity that came out of that Um despite so many overwhelmingly negative comments regarding Britney's release. Well, uh, thank you for saying that. And look, uh, we're just doing what needs to be done. We can't talk about doing the work and say uh, there, there are these injustices and imbalances. And if we have an opportunity to do something about it, we sit there idly. And so we, we both are passionate about it. We talked about it before the show started. This is what we want to do. We don't want to just Look up on the screen and see a bunch of dudes. Uh, we love dudes, okay? But we don't want to see just a bunch of dudes having a conversation. Everybody's got to be involved in this. You got to make this an inclusive party. What else you got in the comments? Yeah, so we actually uh, put up a poll um, because of Sherrod's hot take the other day on the show about your guy. What else your you got guy. in the comments? Oh, Dave stop, Potato. Sherrod. No, what? but we. That is crazy. <laughs> that was crazy. Let's just remind the folks what he said. He said, Jason Tatum, without question, is the best player in the NBA. So we put up a poll. The audience did not agree with him either. He, um, it was like overwhelmingly he's wrong by like, you know, 76%. So over 1,000 yeah. people. Thank you for that. Um, finally, um, people really loved the Dion segments this week. And, um, but there was a user who wondered, wanted to know if Brother From Another is going to continue to focus or if we are going to cover HBCU football in light of Dion's departure. And our own Mike Smith had a response to him. But what is your response? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? You know, my response is a very easy yes. Thank you for your support. Thank you for watching and thank you for engagement. Now, would you like to tell people what Michael Smith's response? Was well, yeah, that was a very hilarious, hilarious exchange. Yes, Mike asked <laughs> if you were new here because you need to check the credentials. You can Google, but both of these brothers um, have always covered HBCU football and they don't plan to stop and we don't plan to stop on this show. So it was quite hilarious. I don't think the person met any ill intent, but you know, sometimes tone can come across wrong on social. So we think. Yeah, but, but look, and I understand. And, and look, sometimes I don't even come out right, but just the thought. We like the thought. But yeah, Mike Mike just covered the Bayou Classic. I've covered the Bayou Classic. We've had Steve Weishon, who has been passionate about highlighting HBCU players before the draft in particular. And we did a segment with him uh, right before NFL Draft Day. We'll continue to do that. And we'll continue to uh, read what you have to say. Check us out. Brother from another, have a great weekend. Natalie, great job as usual. See you next week. Thank you. Thank you. 
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.